This evening's scripture is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 7. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. A very special welcome if you are new to town or new to Grace. Also, if you are a college student, welcome. And a special note for college students, uh, after the service, we have a gift for you. So Sarah with Navigators Campus Ministry will be right out in the lobby, right as you came in. When you leave, she'll be out there and she has a gift bag for you. There's a gift card to a local coffee shop, some gummy bears, and an energy drink because you might need that. So make sure you see Sarah out in the lobby. We want you to know that we are so glad that you're here with us tonight. Also, uh, we have a couple of things coming up this semester to kick off the semester well, and one of them is our Theology Forum. This is something we do uh, about three times during the school year, and it's a time for us to have a uh, a panel and a forum of experts in a particular field, and we take some time talking more in depth about something that we haven't necessarily covered or that we think needs more attention. And so on September 11th, right after the service, even if you can't join us for the service, you can join us right after. So about 6.30, we'll get started. And we're going to have a a panel of folks talking about the intersection between faith and feelings. What role do emotions play in our faith? I know it's a, a question I have, not just, you know, kind of on a meta sense, but in my own life. And we thought it would be a helpful thing for us to spend some time on. So plan on joining us for that as well. In the fall, it's a time where people are going back to school. And part of going back to school, uh, no matter what level of school you're in, it's time to choose your extracurricular activities. You start choosing clubs or sports or music or theater or the different things that you want to belong to. I have two sons at Northwest Junior High here in town, and they are soon, probably this week or the next week, going to be having a club fair where they go around and see all the different clubs represented on campus. And just there at their junior high, there are dozens of clubs that they can belong to. Clubs and uh, extracurricular activities and groups on campus are great ways to get to know people. But I think even more profoundly, they give us a sense to feel a sense of belonging. They give us a chance to belong to something and say, these are my people and this is what we do. Well, tonight we're talking about how we can find a sense of belonging in the body of Christ. Ultimately, we're going to be talking about what the Bible tells us about the family of God and what it means to belong to the family of God. So we're going to open up the scriptures for the next 30 minutes or so and take a look at what God's word has to say about belonging and the body of Christ. Would you pray with me as we get started? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. God, we 
want to hear from you. We want to hear what you have to share with us tonight. And so we pray that we would have willing spirits and open ears to what you want to say. Uh, God, I believe that you have something you want to say tonight. And I pray that you would take my humble words and use them for something uh, bigger than me. Uh, God, we pray that you would speak to each one here tonight in a very specific way. And God, we pray that we would leave here tonight uh, longing to belong in your family. God, we pray that you would speak and that we would listen and that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to believe and hands and feet that are ready to obey what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Normally here at Grace Downtown, we go through books of the Bible. We are in between two books. Uh, next week, we're going to start our semester-long study through the book of First Peter. We did James over the summer, and we have two weeks in between the two series. And we thought it would be a good time, as new people are moving to town, as new people are joining the church, that we would talk about who we are as a church. So last week, we talked about what it means to be people of the Word. And then this week, we're talking about the body of Christ. The book of Colossians chapter 3 serves as a good bridge for us uh, between last week's idea of being people of the word and this week's idea of being the body of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ... Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here, Paul is describing someone that has some things that are true of them. First, take note that he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Last week, we talked about receiving the word of God with meekness, with humility, crying out to God and saying, God, I'm lost and I need saving. I need help. I need you to speak. And so we need to be people of the word. We need to hear God's word preached. We need faith to believe that God's word is true and that it's good news, not just for the world, but for us. And when we receive that word, when we receive it, we realize we're lost. This says the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts. And then it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, meaning not just hearing it once in a while, not just reading it when you were a kid, not just hearing a sermon about it, but letting it dwell in us richly. And he says when this happens, it makes us a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. We see this one body language in verse 15, to which indeed you were called in one body. If we are letting Christ's peace rule in our hearts, and if we are letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we will see that we are connected to something larger than ourselves. And here Paul calls it one body. Ultimately, as we'll look at tonight, the body of Christ. And then this changes our posture towards God and towards others. First, he says that we should be thankful. We have thankfulness because of what Christ has done for us and because we're com connected to something larger than us, that we found that sense of belonging that we have been looking for. And then it changes how we speak. We speak words of praise to God, and we speak the grace and truth of the good news of the gospel to one another. So this is a bridge between the concept of being people of the word and being the body of Christ. 
So please open with me to our main text for tonight. Andrew read part of it. We're going to take a look at a good chunk of this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you would turn there with me in your Bibles or on your phone. 1 Corinthians 12. The same guy, Paul, wrote that letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians, that we looked at just now. He also wrote another book to the church in Corinth. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll take a look at verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here, from the very beginning of this chapter, Paul is telling us that if we cry out, Jesus is Lord— Or if we cry out to him and say, God, you're the only one that can save me. You're the only one that can forgive me. You're the only one that can redeem me. That it's the spirit of God that causes us to do that. We can't say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is my savior without the Holy Spirit saying to us, Jesus is Lord. The way that we believe that we need to be saved, that we believe that we're lost, that we believe Jesus is the Savior, is because the Spirit tells us. So from the very beginning, he's saying that is what we need. This idea of the Spirit telling us Jesus is Lord, then Paul is now going to transition and say what he said in Colossians. Now we're a part of one body. We're a part of something bigger than ourselves. He is going to call them the different kinds and parts of the body. He's going to call them parts, but he's also going to call them gifts. And this idea of the Holy Spirit giving us gifts and putting us in a larger body is called spiritual gifts. You've probably heard that term before, spiritual gifts. That just means the gifts that we have or the parts that we are of the body. So he's going to give us this extended metaphor to help us see what we belong to when we are in Christ. He uses this one body metaphor in four different letters in the New Testament. This is something Paul continues to go back to to show the church you're connected to one another if you're in the same church, the same community of believers, but you're also connected to something much bigger than yourselves because you're one body. So let's continue on as Paul continues on in the metaphor. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the first thing that Paul tells us about spiritual gifts is they are given. Given. We're going to take a look at several things. Paul says several things about the body, about spiritual gifts, about who we are in the body. And here he shows us that gifts are given. We know that because of the very idea of a gift, right? If we receive a gift, it means we didn't produce it on our own. We received it from someone else. So the first thing he wants us to see is that we didn't earn it. We didn't produce it on our own. We didn't learn it on our own. We got it from God. It's a gift that he has given us. And then he uses this language of the Spirit in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So our gifts, any gifts that we have, any role that we have in the body is given to us. It's given to us in two ways. First, the fact that we're in the body is a gift. There's nothing we can do to earn our way into this family. 
Some clubs or some activities, you have to earn your way in. You have to try out. You have to pledge to it. You have to try to get into it. But here, belonging to this family, belonging to this group, is a given gift. The second thing is, then we have particular, and this is what he's going to spend the rest of the time talking about, we have particular gifts that are given to us by God. Usually at Christmas time, my kids get one gift that is all the same. It's either for all of them, which that's always a bummer, right? It's a group gift. That's kind of disappointing. Uh, or we usually get them one where it's like they each get exactly the same thing. So they each get a chief's sweatshirt or they each get the same of one toy. Again, that's kind of a bummer, right? It's like, oh, you got everyone this. Thanks. The most fun gifts, right, at Christmas is when we get something that someone picked out for us. That this is what is mine. This is what I wanted God gives us gifts as a gift, and he gives us specific gifts. So it's a given gift. Let's continue on in the passage, starting in verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. The second thing we see about these gifts is they are varied. They are varied. Now, Paul lifts, lists off some things. Some of them you intuitively know what they are. Some of them you may have a perception of what they are. Some of them you may even be aware of the controversy of what they are. Some you may not even think exist in this day. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, we're not getting into all that today. I will tell you that we are getting into all of that in the spring, in our community groups. We're going to go over this passage and we're going to talk about our spiritual gifts in our community groups in the spring. But for now, what we need to know is that the gifts given in the body are varied. They're not all the same. They're not all the same. It says in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit, but he apportions to each one individually as he wills. They're, they're varied. They're different based on what he needs to accomplish. Each of these gifts accomplishes a purpose in God's kingdom and in God's church and in the world. Each of these accomplishes something that God is trying to accomplish in his people and through his people to the larger world. That's the most important concept that we need to know from this particular chunk tonight. We don't necessarily need to identify our gifts. We don't need to parse out what does he mean by prophecy or a word of wisdom. What we need to know is these are things that God wants to accomplish and he could do it any way he wanted, but he gives these gifts to the church and there are many of them. They're varied. In the next section, he's going to make that a little more explicit in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The third thing he tells us about spiritual gifts is is that there are many. He uses the word many. He lists them off and then he says there's many, which could mean that there's more outside of this list as well. And if we read the whole New Testament, you can get up to 24 of them if you want to make a complete list. And then he uses this word many to say there's even more than that. There are many. We don't always think this way. When we look at our gifts or when we look at the gifts of other people, we often forget there there are many different kinds of gifts. We tend to elevate in and of ourselves or the church culture tend to elevate certain gifts. There are certain gifts that come to mind and there are certain ones that get less attention. There are times when we think, well, I have the best gift and everybody should have this gift. Or there are times when we see other people and we say, maybe I don't have a gift Because I can't do what they do. Maybe I'm not a leader because I can't teach. Maybe I'm not a leader because I don't like speaking up in community group. Here, we're being told that there are many different gifts. A brief survey that I want us to take a look at is in the Bible and in our church. To see that this is true. We tend to think of certain gifts like teaching, leading, the people at the forefront, the people that get the most stage time, the people with the biggest platform. But if we just look at scripture and we look at this church, Grace Downtown, we will see that there are many varied gifts that have been given by God. Three gifts that I want to point out from scripture. There are many, many examples. We can't do an exhaustive list, but three that maybe we lose sight of or don't get as much attention. From the Old Testament, raise your hand if you've heard of Moses. Maybe you've even just seen the movie, Ten Commandments. You're probably aware of Moses, right? We know Moses. Maybe if you've been around church a little while, you know his brother Aaron, And then there was this other guy named Hur, H-U-R, Hur, Aaron and Hur. They are less known, their gifts are less known, but there's this picture in scripture, there's this real thing that happens that Moses is holding up his hands and as long as he holds up his hands, the army of the Lord is winning and God needs him to keep his hands up, but he grows weary. He can only hold his arms up for so long. So Aaron and Hur, his brother and Hur, his right-hand man, they come along and they hold up Moses' arms for him so he's able to accomplish what God has for his people. God has a job to do. Moses gets the limelight. Everybody's heard of Moses, but he couldn't have done it without those men holding up his arms. Another example from scripture, Jesus and his disciples. You may be aware of Jesus. You've probably heard of him. Uh, He's kind of a big deal. He also had disciples as well. You may have heard of that. Disciples, there's 12 of them. They're the guys that are working with him to accomplish Jesus's purposes. They're doing ministry alongside of him. There's 12 of them. And then we get a sense that there are about 70 other people that seem to be like his, his crowd that loves him and is following him around as he's doing ministry and doing miracles all over the place. And then a few times it mentions these women that were with him. 
And it also mentions that these women were the primary bankroll for Jesus' whole ministry. That they were women of means and they were using that money to accomplish the purposes of Jesus and his disciples. Their travel costs, their lodging costs. They had to be paid by someone. But the problem was, it seems like Jesus and the disciples left their day jobs to go out and spread the good news of the gospel and heal people and talk about the kingdom. So they had no residual income, but these women of means bankrolled the whole thing. Women paying to accomplish Jesus' ministry confuses a lot of categories that we have in our mind. A third example, and this is one of my personal favorites. Did you know, if you didn't catch this at the beginning, my name is Jason. Did you know that that name comes from the Bible? There's a Jason in the Bible. In the book of Acts, we're told that the apostles need somewhere to stay and Jason invites them in out of hospitality. He invites them into his home. The book of hospitality is elevated in scripture time and time and time again. So here's some biblical examples of people and gifts that don't get all the publicity, that don't have as much ink spilled about them, but they are just as necessary for accomplishing the purposes of God as the 12 disciples. Some examples from this church, we have three downtown elders, Joe, Jeff, and I, and we have different gifts. We have different experiences. We have different beard lengths. God uses us in a variety of ways, and you will continue over the days and months and years to see how God has gifted each of us differently, and you're primarily going to hear me preaching but you're going to see them serving and ministering with the gifts and the experiences God has given them. The Bible lists elders have to have the ability to teach as one of the qualifications. It's the skill qualification that's given for elders. We have an elder on our larger elder team. We're one church and two congregations. His name is Tommy Widmer. He has never preached a sermon in his 35 years of being a pastor at Grace Community Church, but he teaches a room full of kids every week at Missions Club and teaches them about God's heart for the world. Basically, he does something that I could never do week in and week out. He teaches kids about the glory of God and the purposes of God week in and week out. The chairs you're sitting in today were set up by a setup team. The chairs you're sitting in today were set up by someone that got here three hours before the service started to set things up. Someone had to set up this entire stage. This room is empty when we come in here between 2 and 2.30 every Sunday. There are people downstairs taking care of kids in children's ministry and teaching them about Jesus downstairs. There are people that make sure you can hear the sound of my voice right now and make sure the right slides are up on the screen and set out cold water so when you come in from the heat, you have something cold to drink. There are people doing things behind the scenes to be hospitable, to do things well so that you feel welcome when you walk in the doors? Do we see that there are many varied gifts and they are all needed to accomplish what God is trying to do in his world? Next, look with me at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them, 
as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I don't think I need to expound on this because Paul does a pretty good job with this metaphor. And if I started going into the medical particularities of how our bodies need, like every part of our body needs other parts, there's too many medical people in here and I would sound dumb. So just check out the metaphor Paul's going with here. Every part's needed. No part can say, I don't need you. Every single part is needed. Just as we've seen from our other examples. Let's move on to the next section. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 12, 24. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If we go back to verses 4, 5, and 6, we see the same concept that we are a part of one body. Varied parts, varied gifts, Varied stories and experiences, but we are brought together in one body for the common good, for the good of everyone, and for the purposes of God. To build up the church and to bless the world with the good news of the gospel. And every part is needed and every part belongs to one larger body. We need this word and we need this truth from scripture so much in our day and age. There are so many things that threaten to divide us. First of all, just as humans made in the image of God, there are so many things telling us that we should be divided and divisive towards anyone that doesn't think, talk, act, vote just like us. There's so many things that are tearing us apart. We are in danger. If we say we want to follow Christ, we are in danger of going this way, this way of the culture that says, unless we agree on every single thing, we cannot be in relationship with one another. Here, there is this beautiful picture of varied parts doing different gifts, all coming together a part of one body. Paul is saying here that if the spirit of the living God lives inside of us, we can band together and belong to something bigger than ourselves. I want to take a look at three different verses in this chapter and the chapter right after to look at the next concept. Verse 7, we read, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. In verse 31, we read, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And then in chapter 13, he tells us what the most excellent way is. He says, if I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not loved, I gain nothing. Paul here says that if I have all the gifts, and I do all the things for Jesus, and if I write half the New Testament, which he did, if I am the greatest missionary, which he was, if I am the greatest evangelist of all time, which he was, if I have all of those things, if I have a huge ministry and a huge church, and if everybody remembers my name, which we do, I have nothing if I don't have love. 
If we don't love one another through our differences, through our varied and many gifts, if we don't love one another, if we don't use our gifts for the common good, then our gifts are useless. It's love and unity that holds us together. Again, look at the beauty of this. All different parts doing their varied parts, but coming together in unity, not uniformity. Uniformity is sameness, where everyone is the same. This is describing unity, where everyone is not the same. The church of God has always been people that are not the same, coming together and finding belonging and unity in what God has done for them. That's what Paul is describing for us. One more, and then we'll get into the implications of our text. Ultimately, this is all for the gospel. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, back to the book of Colossians. Let no one disqualify you, uh, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. This is talking about the body of Christ, and it's talking about the whole reason for it is for the sake of the good news of the gospel. It says here in verse 19, and holding on fast to the head, you'll see that the word head is capitalized because that head Paul refers to in each of these instances where he says that we're the body of Christ, all four of these letters where he mentions this concept, he says there's a head to the body. Sometimes he uses the language of a cornerstone, a foundation, That head, cornerstone, foundation, the thing that's giving the energy and the head to the whole body is Christ. We can have unity and oneness despite diversity because Jesus is the head. Because what Jesus has done brings the whole thing together and brings us together The way that we can have that one spirit, that one belonging, and belong to one body is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He is the only one that can bring people together from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people to worship the living God. Because Jesus came in the flesh, fully man, fully God, and he died in our place. See, our sin— Our brokenness, our rebellion against God separates us from God, puts a wedge in our relationship and messes up this whole thing. And we are left not belonging to the people of God and not belonging to God himself. But Jesus comes and stands in our place. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He gives us his righteousness and he invites us into this family, this body, And he gives us this gift of the Spirit that unites us together. If we are in Christ, we serve a God who walked among us. He emptied himself and took the form of a servant and showed us what it looks like to love one another. He's the only one that loved his neighbor more than he loved himself all the time. And when we fall short of that— He is the one that offers grace and forgiveness and this gift of belonging. On the cross, when Jesus died, he relinquished his power and all the earthly worship that he deserved in order to give us a place in God's kingdom. I'm going to 
I'm going to plagiarize myself from my sermon in the book of Philippians because this is a fitting concept once again. For us to participate in the fullness of God, Christ had to come to participate with us as a man. He had to come and live on this earth as a man and have flesh and be separated from the Father so that we could be included in the body of Christ. So based on this text, what are the implications? What do we need to do in order to be a part of this body and exercise our gifts first? We need to lean into community. We need to lean into community. You've probably heard me over the summer use this phrase three times as an implication of our text. We need to lean into community, meaning we have an opportunity for community with the people around us in the biblical community, people wanting to worship God as well. We can lean into what God has provided for us. You can take all the personality tests in the world you want privately on your phone and find out what your Myers-Briggs, your strength, your Enneagram is, whatever you want, but the only way you can fully exercise it is in community is in using the gift that God has given you. And when we don't use our gifts, when we don't exercise our part of the body, atrophy grows. We grow atrophy. We can't move like we're supposed to. We don't even really know what our gifts are until we start using them. So we need to lean into community. This helps us to learn our gift. We learn our gift through experiencing community. Because here's the secret. The gift that God has given you, it's not for you. It's for others. He says here it's for the common good. It's for the common good, and it's to accomplish his purposes in his world. So we learn our gift in community, and we use it for the purpose of others. Part of being part of the body is we need to also, number three, listen to one another. We need to listen to learn that we are not the only part of the body, that every part has values, and we need to learn from one another by listening, by listening to one another. You know how you learn about things that you don't know? You listen. You listen to other people and the way they're wired, the way that they're gifted. listening to one another, seeing what God has placed on other people's hearts, learning about what's important to other people, learning how other people tick. We start to appreciate the gifts that God has given them by learning from one another. Then we can speak into one another's lives. See how these are our two-handed thing? We listen so we can know other people. We can know what makes them tick. We can know what part of the body they are. We can learn more about our gifts. And then we can speak the truth in love to one another. I have never felt as loved by someone else in the body of Christ as when they speak the truth in love to me. Josh Havman, our executive pastor, did this for me on Monday. I called him and I vomited all over him with lots of words and emoted a lot of things and had lots of things to say and he spoke the truth in love and what that looked like was him telling me you're being kind of dumb but I understand why and then he unpacked what he meant by that and it really helped we're really only helped if someone is willing to listen to us and empathize with us 
and then tell us the truth and show us that we are to blame for part of our problems, but also validate us and make us feel heard and make us feel understood. And what a great gift that is when someone does that for us. The body of Christ is consistently listening to one another and then speaking the truth in love to one another. I often find that people are good at one of these. (laughs) It's very hard to do both well. We need God's help for the common good, the Spirit speaking through each one. Next, we need to fan the flame of the gift of God that he has given us. I borrow this language from Paul once again in his letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Paul is speaking to Timothy about three things here, and he's saying you need to fan into flame what you've been given. He's talking about his role. He's talking about when he was ordained as a pastor. So he's talking about his role. He's talking about where his strength comes from, the Spirit, and his unique gift that God has given him. I believe Paul's referring to all three in this one sentence. And he's saying, fan the flame of all three. Fan the flame of your role in the church. Fan the flame of the Spirit of the living God which is in you. And Fan the flame of the unique gifts, your unique part of the body. Exercise your part of the body. Learn your gift. Exercise your gift. I don't have time to get into the next one as much as I would like to. There's an idea in the business world of leading up or reverse mentoring where you speak into the life of someone that is leading you. I think throughout scripture, you see this time and time and time again where those leading in the church or in the family are primarily called to lay down their lives for those in their care and also learn from the church and listen to the church and be humble before the church. So speak the truth in love and listen well to even those that are older than you or quote-unquote have more authority than you. This is part of being a part of the body. This is a part of valuing every part of the body, including your own. And lastly, I want to encourage you to get equipped, to get equipped as a disciple, to learn more about the Spirit, to learn more about your gifts, to fan into flame the gifts that you think that God has given you. We want to provide some chances for you to do this. I mentioned one already this spring. We're going to go through 1 Corinthians 12 more in depth and talk about how do we know what our gifts are? What are the gifts? How do we know what ours is? How do we grow in them? How do we exercise them In the church. You'll be hearing more about that as we get into spring. Um, That is how we are going to equip ourselves to grow in as a disciple, to grow in our leadership, to flex our muscles as the part of the body that God has given us. We're going to pray here together, but I also want to encourage you to come forward for prayer. We'll have three folks up here uh, that are on our prayer team, and they would love to intercede with you and for you and pray for you. This is something that we're going to have every week after the service. No prayer request is too small. Maybe you're overwhelmed by school already, Um, or maybe there's something big going on in your life, your family, our world that you would like to pray for, please come forward. Don't be shy. Come forward. These folks uh, really would love to serve you in that way and come alongside of you 
and pray with you as well. So I'm going to pray. As soon as we're done, you can come forward for prayer. College students, don't forget to see Sarah and the folks from Navigators in the lobby. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you have answered our prayers. God, we want to continue to hear from you. God, speak to us through your word, your spirit, and your people this week. God, we believe that you have called us to be your good news people. We want to know the good news. Spirit, help us believe the good news. And then help us as we share the good news. God, we believe that your gospel is good news for us and the world. So God, show us how you want us to show the good news and share the good news this week. God, we commit our hands and our feet to you. God, we leave here with the good news of the gospel on our lips. And we pray that you would continue to speak and do your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in grace and we'll see you soon.